Let's stand for the reading of God's holy word found in the letter of James. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. James writes, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Shortly after I graduated from college, a friend of mine asked me to go with him to Africa for half of a summer. Now, he was and still is much smarter than me. He was getting his master's in public health at Yale University before going on to get his doctorate in medicine from Johns Hopkins. And he was helping to start a small NGO and a clinic in the sub-Saharan village of Bawa, Cameroon. Now, Bawa is a tiny village, really a tribe of people, about 300 of them. Uh, generation after generation, they have kept these various customs and traditions, and they even have their own language that only 300 people on the world actually speak. Now, this was an incredible experience that I had because I had been overseas before, I'd been on mission trips, but never had I been for so long, and never had I actually lived among the people. You see, we spent those six weeks living with them, sharing with them, crying with them, laughing with them, hearing their stories, attending their funerals, eating what they ate, rat, most every single day. A gift from the local boys, they hunt them with slingshots, stuff that you just can't make up. And I remembered that perhaps the greatest thing that they taught me was not what they had, but it's what they didn't have. No running water, no adequate health, not enough food, no money, no possessions. And they say money can buy happiness. What the people of Bawa taught me is money can't buy joy because what they lacked in material possession, they had joy. And as I got on a plane to come back to the United States that summer, it was around July 4th, and I'll never forget, I was about 15 pounds lighter, if you can imagine, and I was desperate for a cheeseburger. And I realized I was trading in one kind of poverty for another. I was trading in unspeakable material poverty for the spiritual poverty that you and I encounter every single day. You see, there is a kind of poverty that we experience in abundance. The kind of poverty that tells us that we can just achieve it if we put our mind to it, if we work hard enough, if we acquire enough, enough possessions, enough riches, enough wealth. It's the kind of poverty that lies to us. The kind of poverty that exists in us that we are the poorest people on the planet if we do not know the riches of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, James, he writes to us. He says, let the lowly brother boast in exultation, let the rich in his humiliation. This morning, James is cutting right to the heart of our humanity because the gospel turns 
our value system upside down. For James, this is not really just about money. It's deeper than that. It's about what we value. It's about what we worship. Ultimately, it's about what we treasure above all else. And this morning, James is going to remind us that the riches of this life do not compare to the riches of Jesus Christ. There is nothing like what he has for us and what he has done for us and what he has lavished upon us, grace upon grace upon grace. And he is showing us this this morning in three ways. First, that we would know the power of humility. Second, that we would know the possession that we have in eternity. And third, James is calling us to pursue the kingdom of God. And these three ways, James is calling us to treasure the surpassing riches of Jesus Christ. The first way that he does this, that we would know the power of humility. Look with me, verse 9. James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. James is presenting two very opposite types of people to us. The lowly, the poor, and the rich. There are a couple things that we must know if we're going to understand what James is trying to tell us. The first is this. The word brother is synonymous with Christian. James is saying, let the lowly Christian, fellow Christian, let the poor Christian exult in his exaltation. But the second thing we must realize is this, that the rich person here is a Christian as well. Now, this is less clear, and I want to take just a moment to show you why I believe this to be true. James is describing two different types of Christians of complete opposite socioeconomic status. He's not looking at the lowly poor Christian and the rich non-Christian. No, he's wanting us to understand something intrinsic about the gospel, that it changes everything about how we think of ourselves and how we think of others, how we think of value, how we think of status. You see, in essence, what James is saying is, let the poor Christian boast in his exaltation and let the rich Christian in his humiliation. If you look with me, verse 10, the word rich is modifying the word brother in the verse before. Let the rich brother, let the rich brother exult in his humiliation. Okay, so why the grammar lesson? Why the study of Greek grammar this morning? Because James is trying to help us understand something radical about the grace of God. There is a value system that has transcended every single culture throughout history, as long as there have been people on this planet. And it's this. You are defined by what you have. And those that have a lot, those that have great wealth and riches are the ones that have power and notoriety and honor and strength. And those who have nothing, those who are poor and lowly, those are the marginalized, the cast down. And this morning, James has a message for us that the gospel of Jesus Christ completely turns that value system upside down. That there is only one thing that should define us this morning, that if you know Jesus Christ, whether you are rich 
or you are poor, there is one thing that you are identified by, and it's this. You are his. You're his. You are Christ's. You are his treasure, and he loves you. And so this morning, what he's saying is, if you are poor, if you wish you had more, if you were striving and praying that God would just bring things a little bit differently for you, as you come into this place this morning, James says, you have the place of honor. Why? Not because what you have or don't have, but you may boast that you have been exalted in Jesus Christ. Like me this morning, if you look at your life and you think, I couldn't want for anything else. I've achieved so much and I just have so much in abundance, so many blessings. James, probably if you were here today, would say it's probably most of us, if not all of us, compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. James is saying, as you come into this place, you have reason to be humbled. Because nothing that you have can even compare to what Christ has given you. Christ has given you everything, grace upon grace upon grace. And this is why he says in chapter 2, verse 5, James says, Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Our identities this morning radically turn the world upside down. Jeremiah puts it this way, Let the wise man not boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but... Let he who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. You see, for James, this is much deeper than just money. This is about pride. It's about what we boast in, what we stand on, what we think of ourselves in light of the world around us. The attitude that if we could just work hard enough, acquire enough, that we could have everything that we could ever possibly want. This is about pride. See, what do you boast in? What are you proud of? Money is deeply connected to pride. And this affects us all. Whether you have no money, you have lots of it. You see, money makes us self-reliant. It makes us independent. It promises status and power Money can puff us up. It can make us arrogant. Money is the fuel for pride. And pride is the ultimate in self-worship. Pride is the idolatry of self. And this is why Jonathan Edwards describes pride in this way. He says it's the worst part of the body of sin and death. The first sin that ever entered into the universe, the last that is roosted out. Pride is God's most stubborn enemy. And so it's no wonder that Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot love God and money. Why does he say that? Because money is connected to our pride. And if you believe, whether you are poor or rich, that if you can just have enough, and you could do it on your own, then you have completely removed yourself from the authority and sovereignty of God. 
You've lived a lie and convinced yourself that you can do it on your own. That you could earn it on your own. And this morning, James is trying to remind us. He's trying to remind us of who God is. Giving us a greater vision of who God is and what he has done for us. We need a greater vision of God and a deeper vision of the cross. Because at the cross, we learn something of humility. At the cross, we begin to see that the bigger that God is, the smaller that we ultimately are. Andrew Murray defined humility in this way. He said, humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. In other words, the more that you see God for all that he is and the riches that he has in the gospel, the more that the riches of this life just fade away. The more that all you've achieved becomes lesser, becomes diminished when you see what it is that Christ has done for you and for me. First, James is calling us to the power that we have in humility. Second, he's calling us to the possession of eternity. Look with me, the second part of verse 10. James writes, Because like a flower of the grass, he, that is the rich man, will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. James here is referencing a familiar Old Testament tradition. A tradition that you can carry throughout the Psalms and into Isaiah, Psalm 103. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it is gone. Psalm 49, be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry away nothing. Isaiah 40, all flesh is grass, its beauty like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. People are like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, this is as simple as it is difficult for us to really comprehend. Because what James is reminding us is this. Everything around you is temporary. Everything. Your house, your car, your investments, your possessions, even your physical body, all of it will fade away. All of it will fade to dust. It's temporary. We live in a temporary world. And we live in a world that lies to us and tells us that everything that we see is all that there is. Now, if that were true, then of course, that's what we would live for. That we would believe this lie that we are defined by what we have, by what we possess. But it is a lie that goes to the depths of who we are. This past week, Floyd May, uh, whether if you know who he is, he's a boxer. One of the most successful boxers that he is, he put on Instagram a picture of his new car. There's only two of them in the world. His is even more custom than the other. It cost $4.8 million. Now you think, okay, that's a lot of money. But even more than that, what I was struck by is this. Here's a man who is successful, has everything that he could ever want in his sport and in this life, and yet he sought the need not just to buy a car. That's the least of it but to boast about it, to tell everybody else about it. Why? 
I'm not just picking on him. We all have this in us, right? We define ourselves by what we have. We want other people to see who we are defined by what we have. And this morning, James is saying, you are not defined by these temporary things. You are defined by one possession, and it's a possession that lasts forever. This morning, if you know Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection for you, then you have been given the possession of heaven, the possession of eternity, something that will never fade, that will last forever. And so this morning, James is asking you, he's asking me, what are you investing in? What are you investing on? What are you pouring your resources into? Jesus says this, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rope destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We must recognize that we have a possession that the Holy Spirit is keeping for us, a possession of something greater to come, heaven itself, eternity with our God, and there is nothing that we could earthly possess that even compares for the eternal weight of glory that comes for us. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you and for me. You are not defined by what you have. You are not defined by what you don't have. You are defined by the one thing that will never fade, that you are a child of God. And if you are his, you will live forever with him in heaven. And there is no one who can take that away from you. So James, he addresses our value system, our pride, he addresses what we have, our possessions. And finally, he addresses what we desire. The third thing this morning that he's calling us to is the pursuit of the kingdom of God. Look with me, the very end of verse 11. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What are you pursuing? What are you living for? Another way to ask it is this, what do you desire above everything else? What do you want out of life? For most of us, it's the American dream, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, this promise to work hard, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, to achieve and to earn, to be able to be successful in this life. Now, the problem with this is that it's a dream that's impossible to truly achieve. This is what I mean by that. In the 1830s, a French political theorist, Alexis de Tocqueville, he visited the United States, and this is what he saw, quote, a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants of democratic countries in the midst of abundance. What is he saying? He's saying, here, I've come to the United States, and I see such prosperity 
But in the midst of this prosperity, all I see is sadness. And on reflecting on this, he went on to say this, that the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. It's true, isn't it? You see, the problem with the American dream, the pursuit of happiness, is that intrinsic within it says that the way towards happiness is worldly success, honor and wealth and riches. The problem with this is that the more you have, it seems like there's never enough. There's always more to be had. Why? Because deep down we have this pit in the midst of our soul that can only be satisfied by one thing, the kingdom of God. To know that we are his, to know that there is nothing we have to work for, to know that we are his treasure. So the gospels tell the story of a rich young ruler. Luke 18 says that a ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. I believe that this story, the story of the rich young ruler, is much like our passage in James this morning. It's much deeper than money. This is a story about desire. See, the rich young ruler had worked hard to build up a kingdom for himself, his own little kingdom. And it's a kingdom that he ruled, that he reigned over, a kingdom that he got accustomed to. But he recognized that there was one thing that he lacked. He wanted eternal life. And so he came to Jesus and he said, I've done everything that there is on this earth. I've achieved everything. What must I do to have eternal life? And this is what Jesus told him. Give up your kingdom for the sake of mine. And he couldn't do it. Whose kingdom are you pursuing? Whose kingdom are you after? Are you building your own little kingdom that will eventually fade away? Are you pursuing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things would be added to you. So what does it look like? What does it look like to forsake our little kingdoms and seek his kingdom first? The only way that you could possibly do that, to treasure the riches of Jesus Christ above all other worldly riches, the only way you could even do that is if you begin to treasure Christ by knowing that he treasures you first. Jesus told a parable about the kingdom of God. He told many parables about the kingdom. But one in particular, Matthew 13, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. On the one hand this morning we see that the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure. Jesus Christ is a treasure that we 
I've been called to willingly and joyfully sell everything, to lay everything down at his feet, that we might gain Christ. But on the other hand, we see that the kingdom of heaven is this, that we are the treasure hidden in a field, and that God has sold everything, willingly gave everything in order that he could buy us. He has paid it all. We are his treasure. And so Paul in Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Jesus Christ, who is rich, became poor for you and for me. Jesus Christ, who had all the power of the universe, emptied himself and became one of us. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and judge, became judged so that you and I might have life. Why? Because God treasures you. He treasures you. He values you above all else. You are his treasured possession And he has been pursuing you since before the foundation of the world. We are his treasure. And when we begin to recognize that he has lavished us with the greatest riches that we could even possibly imagine, the riches of the gospel, grace upon grace upon grace, then we begin to truly see who we are. That what we're after doesn't even compare. And we will truly begin to worship him in laying down the riches of this life for the sake of knowing him and the riches he has for us. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for me. Father, I've joked this morning that I don't like James, but I also love him. I love him because he speaks the truth to us, the truth of who we are and whose we are in Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that you would help each of us to see that we have been treasured by you so much so that you have given us every riches that you've possessed, you have poured out upon us. Lord, may we not be satisfied with the riches of this world, but may we joyfully and willingly dedicate all that we have to you, recognizing that you have given us grace upon grace upon grace. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.